Hey there and welcome back to yet another episode here on the Desi VC podcast. I'm your host Akash Bhatt and each week I bring you leading operators and investors building and investing in companies all around the world. I'm thrilled to bring you a great episode here today with a founder building a live entertainment startup in India. Joining me on the podcast today is Saurabh Pandey. He is the co-founder and CEO of Elo Elo. Elo Elo is an app that enables live social experiences through games and entertainment. It is currently among the top 10 apps on the Google Play Store in India with over 10 million downloads. It accommodates close to 35,000 content creators and offers a staggering 400 million minutes of live content. The company has raised 15 million dollars from Kalari Capital, KB Investment, Lumikai, Waterbridge Ventures and Better Capital. Before Elo Elo, Saurab accumulated over a decade's worth of experience in various domains such as marketing, product, growth and business development at Flipkart and P&G. Today on this podcast, we talk about his journey building a live entertainment company in India, the conviction he had to go out and build a company after failing as a founder the first time, and more importantly, some of the challenges, opportunities and growth that he's had as a founder building this company over the last 3 and a half years. So without further ado, let's head in and listen to Saurabh and his journey with Elo Elo. Saurabh, welcome to the Desi VC podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to host you today. I am looking forward to talking to you about your builder experience. But before we get into all of that, welcome to the show and uh, how's it going? Thanks thanks Akash it's going really really well excited to talk to you about what we are building about the journey etc so yeah thank you so much of course now typically when i have a founder on the podcast there are a few things that i discuss with them and most of the episodes are kicked off by understanding one simple question and one simple question alone why entrepreneurship like talk us through some of those key moments in your career in your life that kind of like led you down this path and mm-hmm. it's always a very different story when you speak to founders and some cases you speak to founders you realize that it's come from circumstances that you know they were unfortunately <laughs> put into and in some cases it's just been that urge for the longest period of time that you know kuch karna hai, i want to do this i've always wanted to build so which side of the table do you fall or was it a completely different unique experience in your case that like kind of led you down the path of entrepreneurship so you know it's very interesting uh, you also sakash so for me there was no one tipping point mm. uh, a lot of people have that one aha moment ki yeah. this happened and this led me to this eureka that i have to do this or this is my calling nothing of this happened to me it was very sort of one experience and i'll tell you about i'm a big believer in uh, inflection points which are more gradual right so mm. i'll tell you three inflection points in my life which have sort of led me to do this right uh the first ever inflection point for me was my mba so did my mba did fairly well there uh, i graduated from the 2011 13 batch of jamnalal bajaj that's in bombay right uh post that my entire dream at that time was i want to do sales in hindustan lever or png that's it i had right. just one dream i was like yahi karna hai and then i'll go into brand role i'll become a regional director of brand and i will be sorted i'll be in that mumbai office i used to roam around that mumbai office to manifest it all the time that this is what is going to happen to me and i eventually landed at png only right i started with sales in png and that's how my career kick started but i realized that 
somewhere i felt that i could do more and i was severely underutilizing myself in what i was doing and that was the first thought that should i be doing something and at that time is where the second inflection point came i was very interested in building something mm. and uh, i registered a domain at that time called as entrypoint.in and okay. i was very fascinated by entrance exams at that time because it had taken me years of slogging to get into this space, uh, to get into my mba and i was like you know that entire space is crowded nobody is really building for it let me do something around this space and i built that in 2015 i went to i did everything that a noob would do at that time i went to <laughs> all the uh, entrepreneurship talks i went everywhere i pitched to people i was like this is what i'm doing and people told me no no this is not very exciting and this that and i was like okay uh, and i was doing it alone right so i didn't really have a co-founder or anything i figured out that i understand products i understand all of this i can build it but back then itni hustle bhi nahi thi ke i would be able to sort of pull this off on my own right. and after 3 4 months of building thinking of mvps and all i never took a full fledged punt like i never left proctor i kept staying in there and i was fiddling around with the idea back then is when so i gave up on the idea and then flipkart happened to me so 2015 mm. i joined flipkart and then after about 5 years of flipkart is where my uh, third sort of inflection point happened so at flipkart built a lot of categories built a lot of uh, product marketing initiatives led big billion days for central unions etc <coughs> there uh, so there is where my real inflection points came in so just to give you a bit of a context I am also a stand-up comedian on the side, so I do open mic nights in uh, parts of Bangalore. So there's a pub here called there used to be called Prost in yeah, Kormangla. In Kormangla. So I used to do open mic nights there every Thursday, certain Thursdays, not I won't say every Thursday. And I was very close to this. I was very fascinated by the creator economy. It's a VC term that everyone says creator economy, huh. but uh, I was fascinated by. people owning an audience let me put it that way that i am sort of interacting with an audience i am owning your attention i think there is some preciousness associated with that right. and back then in 2019 i was also managing my mom's youtube channel so okay. she wanted to become a youtuber and these two things were happening sort of simultaneously i was doing content creation my managing her youtube channel and i realized that boss it's very tough for a gen 2 creator to break out now i mean you may be of kick ass quality but to get the kind of likes followers viewership and all distribution is scarce uh, people who've already built their audiences on instagram youtube are sort of the natives there it's getting very very tough for people to now break in fresh over there and i realized that uh, that's where my conviction started growing that something needs to be built in this segment that was my main conviction that something needs to happen here because i am seeing first hand the problem statements that good quality content is going out but how do i get the right distribution how do i get the audiences to listen how do i own their attention my conviction towards live streaming started building out over the uh, over that time because i started realizing that you know short video video on demand other formats that's fine but actually having an audience glued in for a certain period of time and being able to interact with them is the purest form of status for an audience as well as interaction unlocks for creators so i started thinking around that uh, and then you know i had certain liquidity as uh, having reached a certain position at flipkart i had certain liquidity i knew i can take that punt i knew i had certain fresh ideas spoke at home and it sort of happened very organically jan of 2020 i decided to put in my papers and be like 
ठीक है नाउ लेट मी डू दिस फुल टाइम लेट मी सी वेयर दिस पाथ टेक्स मी बाय द टाइम माय नोटिस पीरियड एंडेड एंड एवरीथिंग कोविड हिट मार्च ऑफ 2020 सो आई वाज लाइक दिस इज ऑलरेडी अ मिस्टेक बिकॉज़ नाउ सडनली आई एंटर्ड अ टेरिटरी वेयर नोबडी हैज एनी आईडिया व्हाट इज गोना हैपन एंड हाउ डू आई स्टार्ट अ कंपनी रिमोटली बट देन वी फिगर्ड आउट आई मीन फिगर्ड आउट आफ्टर दैट एंड स्टफ सो या दैट वाज लाइक ऑलमोस्ट टू थ्री इन्फ्लेक्शन पॉइंट्स लेड मी टू स्टार्टिंग इट देयर वाज नॉट वन यूरेका मोमेंट इट वाज जस्ट a lot of gradual uh, ahas inside that okay this seems interesting this seems interesting ab kar lete like that right there's a bunch of things in that particular segment which <laughs> i really enjoyed and we'll break it down one by one yeah. firstly let's talk about all the mistakes that you made as a founder because you talk you you were a solo founder which in a market in 2016 when the vc money was drying up for the first time was actually a bad position to be in and then you yeah. kind of like tried experimenting the edtech space which it also at that point hit its first saturation point and then towards 2021 it hit its second saturation point right okay. so let's talk about that because when you go out and want to build a company out for the second time there are plenty of founders today who've had that journey in you know the first time they go out to do they probably had some very hard harsh learning lessons and they have failed um and they come out for the second time and you had a five year almost a five year sort of a gap between your first stint and the second stint it's much harder for a lot of founders when they fail for the first time and taking that gap to come back and again build for the second time right in your case what kind of gave you that courage because i know a lot of the founders today who reach out to me sometimes on the podcast are people who are st- starting company second third time or maybe the first time as well and they always have this one question that they ask me is like can you ask some of these operators who come on to your podcast what gives them the courage especially going out and say, doing it the second time and they fail for the first time and i'm going to pose the same question audience generated crowdsource question back to you what gave you that conviction courage um knowing that this is the second time that you went first time was not the way that you expected it to go and how did you actually go about it the second time around and any learnings that you have had as you reflect back that you can share so that anybody out there who's thinking about going and doing it for the second time will probably take a lot of encouragement from your answer yeah i think this is uh... very very a very very good question and let me i i'll emphasize on the word courage here i think that is my larger takeaway so you know the first time i won't even call myself i mean i'll be taking a leap of faith if i call myself a second time entrepreneur because the first time i was a i was i was a entrepreneur i would say i wanted <laughs> to start uh making a fancy pitch deck registering something building a website uh, i felt doesn't make me an entrepreneur because yeah. it's when you now i mean something i tell my people uh, who i work very closely is that prds over pitch decks any day i mean write product write product documents don't yeah. uh, just create the narrative actually do the work and that is right. my biggest learning so at that time i felt i had taken i had thought that bas ho jayega if i make a good pitch deck i go to people i'll raise i'll build something and i'll figure it out i realized that that's not how this market works you have to build genuine value for people you have to figure out where the problem statement lies who are you solving for what is it that you're bringing into the market it's either so when you start off and you have low capital then you have to build on creativity right i mean right it's the two c's ultimately that shape a business and i felt when i started off i didn't have any deep conviction in starting i think it was my stint at flipkart that really gave me this courage to start and i'll tell you why because the way that was the first time i worked at at a startup i had worked with png and loreal prior to that and working there i was managing a team of about 25 folks uh, at flipkart 
and i ran that team fairly independently i mean mm. the company gave uh, you the freedom that run a team the way you wanted set targets achieve them celebrate if you haven't achieved it then reflect and sort of build it again that i saw that entire journey of absolute highs of seeing so many big billion days seeing so many events planning aops planning uh, so i mean product pages category pages 100 of things right and that gave me the confidence that boss if i am able to do this uh, at a basic resource level where it wasn't very resource rich because we were emerging businesses uh, sort of a unit at flipkart and we were still able to pull off some fairly decent numbers is where that gave me a courage that okay if i were to experiment something individually if i were to try something out i don't think it will be such a bad idea anymore i think i have certain basic nuances of how to go about that entire space so the courage came your a lot of times your courage or your success is also defined by pedigree or past experiences mm-hmm. that if you've had something which sort of backs you in there then it's almost like a muscle memory that kicks in mm-hmm. that now when i'm building elo elo i know the fundamentals of sort of doing this so that was the first step that okay i have done certain things right and i always viewed myself as an intrapreneur at that time i yeah. uh, it's a word that i sort of really believe in and i call a lot of folks at elo elo that where eir is again a fancier term for it but you can say that when you're building a team inside and you're building projects which are almost very mission driven right that i have to get this done for the org etc then you really enjoy and you start uh, valuing your own capability and i think that happened with me at flipkart back when so when i started at elo elo my first step and i've been a big believer in distribution power of distribution power of execution rather than just planning so <clears throat> when i told people i'm starting off in the uh, social entertainment and creator uh, creator economy space the first thing i built was a facebook page and an instagram page and mm. i got that to a 50000 base just putting out content put out content replied to every single comment every single post just interacted with everyone got so many people to spread the word i hadn't even built an app then i just wanted to see that all the principles that i had on content and entertainment are they even landing on mass social platforms am i able to prove some distribution there so my instagram page reached about 15 14000 followers facebook reached about 30 40000 and we were like okay we are heading somewhere we are doing yeah. something right and that's where we started looking at building the core product then started talking to people before that was just about building traction building product figuring out how will we launch it and then sort of going out there in the market as opposed to starting off with a powerpoint presentation so when i did elo elo i did a lot of things fundamentally uh, i if i reflect back i would say certain things went right because mm. the principles were strong that we will be very execution and distribution focused as opposed to taking years to plan something and just put it on paper or powerpoint rather than executing it so i think that combined with the courage of flipkart led to where the journey started i love that answer because there's a lot that goes into your past experience that you mentioned which kind of gives you a lot of conviction in terms of what the future can be and yeah. a lot of bad experiences in the past can actually put entrepreneurs like entrepreneurs as you mentioned it i love that word by the way i'm going to be using it going forward um yeah. and discourages them from actually going out and starting in spite of having strong personalities backgrounds <laughs> and that leadership skill to actually go out and do something which is yeah. on their own and you may you bring up a very good example in that case and i can tell you from my own personal experience that having had a stint that kind of preps you up for something bigger larger that's more riskier 
there's nothing like it. Like I spent four and a half years in private equity and VC, a private equity first, and then four and a half years in VC. And today I can tell you that when I want to go back on the operator side, I'm much more confident having looked at founders. And I don't mean this from a place of arrogance when I say this, but in my head, I'm like, if this guy can do it, so can I. Yeah. And I don't mean that from a place of arrogance. I mean that these people had very little resources. They had, and I'd, and I'd worked with founders who were just out of college, but with a paper idea and people have gone out and actually done great things after that. And I'm like, okay, what is stopping me from actually doing something? Or what is stopping somebody else from doing something? So when somebody comes to me and says, I don't really know where to begin. I'm like, there are people who didn't know how to begin and they, and they went ahead starting it, but it's, you've got to start. If you really want to do something, you've got like, just get that courage to like get started. And it's that courage that actually is that, that it's the classic cold start problem. It's the yep. cold start problem before the cold start problem, because typically the cold start problem comes when you try to build a product, but this is the cold start problem before even the product comes yeah. into place. Yeah. It's um, a cold feet problem before the cold start problem. Also. I love that. I love how you put it. You've put it better than I did. It is definitely a cold feet problem before the cold start problem. Right. And uh, let's talk about it because one of the questions that I had in my mind was to talk to you about the first inflection point at Elo Elo that kind of gave you a little bit of validation that, hey, <laughs> There's something here. The thesis is being validated. And you kind of spoke to me about the Facebook page and the Instagram page that probably was the building block or the foundation to kind of give you some sort of conviction that yeah. there is something to build here. There's a 50,000 um, you know, follower base that we can really tap into. We have an engaged customer base. Was that the main thing that kind of drove you to like start now thinking about building the second layer, which is now we can introduce a product layer on top of it. And then we can introduce... Um, this creator economy, bring in some of the best creators from the world, then start monetizing it. Is that what led to it? Or was there another inflection point that kind of gave you some more insight into this thesis that you were trying to validate this? Is there even a market here? Yeah. Uh, again, uh, very, very well articulated. I'll tell you my real inflection point at that time. So building distribution or building a Facebook and Instagram page for me was more, instead of it being an inflection, Reflection point for me, it was just validation that yeah. certain first principles of putting content, putting entertainment stuff out there is working, but mm. that's not necessarily enough validation because you still have to build product. And I wasn't waiting for this to build product. I was in parallel building my product, right? Okay. Uh, my real inflection point came and you know, it's very interesting what we were doing and what we are doing is fairly complex. If you think about it from a tech standpoint, right? Mm. Because what we are essentially is we are a live entertainment and social gaming product, right? Yeah. And what, what does that mean? I mean, uh, what does that mean in simple terms? Most of the people, ultimately the larger creator problem statement, of course, is that I want to own an audience's attention. I want to have shorter feedback loops and I want eventually, I want to be able to monetize them. That's the simple problem statement from creators. And from an audience, you're an escapism product, right? right. I have 10 minutes. I've taken a break. I've gone out for sutta or I've just stepped out for a chai tapri point and I want to open an app. There are these 800 options on my phone. It's all attention economy. Why do I open this one by one icon rather than another icon? And what makes them think of Elo Elo and open that? So it's ultimately everything is in the entertainment space. It's an escapism product, right? So sure. you have to deliver that value proposition at that time. So for me, the real kicker or the real validation came when we did our first 10 live streams mm. because our live streams had a game layer on top of them. 
and as a tech standpoint it was fairly complex because you're building cdns you're building an rtc protocol where it's two second lag live streams right it's almost right. hotstar level uh, back then it was even better than hotstar and it still mm. is in certain sense right that two second uh, lag that's it from the creator to an audience in terms of an entire live stream broadcast and an native android game layer added on top of it which audiences can sort of play together and sort of have a great time it's almost like you are entering this party where the host is welcoming everyone and saying come on guys let's have a great time etc right hmm. so for me the inflection point was one when we had the first live stream which crossed 500 concurrent users in like a minute that gave me the validation that boss if there are 500 people in india and that time i think we were at daos of about uh, 30k 30 35k right okay. the use at that time we are close to about a million now in terms of mm. daos and maos of about almost 7 million plus but the idea at that time was that uh, if there are 500 people who are valuing this so much that they've come together at 8 30 35 pm to watch this one creator sing and host this particular game then yeah. i must be really on to something because these guys don't know each other they are strangers they've yeah. entered this live room there were a, there was a flurry of comments so first that gave me validation and happiness that my tech is working that it's is also great. it's also prime time television time it's prime time television correct so, so if uh, you're taking attention spans away from that 8 o'clock like 9:30 time frame that's correct. a huge validation that boss yahan pe kuch hai there is definitely something because that's Correct. that's that's holy grail that's family time that's dinner time that's Correct. ipl time that's tv everything. time that's just everything, everything. and if yeah. somebody's spending that time on your platform even if it's for 10 minutes it goes to show that there is something definitely Correct. here for sure that was that was exactly the way you put it right the exact inflection point was that that you know at 8:35 pm there is this creator who's playing a ukulele and she is hosted a particular game which people can play saying the creator is not really giving a game commentary she is performing and there's also a game going on on your screen and people are glued they're asking her that play this next song and they're chit chatting amongst each other as like and that's when i told people that you know I don't know. There is no eureka moment. Your uh, trackers don't ring saying, "Hey, a PMF alert." <laughs> Nothing like this happens, right? But you start feeling that okay, there is some sign of a product working, and then of course you start improving. You start improving on your tech. You start improving on your FTUs. You start improving on your product flows. But that gave me validation that. जो भी बना रहे हैं, there are certain people who are liking this and we can build on this audience even further. So yeah, that that was the biggest validation. You know, uh, why the TV example that you said is very important because whenever I talk to my team or anyone about this, I constantly say that the box for you or the media box for you has constantly evolved, right? right. It's gone from your radio to black and white to color TV to mobile phone. Elo Elo prides itself in being sort of a live interactive TV. in its mm. pure format that we have live game shows we have live singing live comedy so it's almost like your games reality tv and fun interactive genres of tv have yeah. come on to your phone so people will also chat with you and talk to you so there's a chat and game layer on top so we feel that the if you are able to compete in the attention span of that then we've built a good product so mm. hence that became a very important validation for us and of course then multiple such moments happened i mean recently we did a reality show where we had like 220000 concurrent users in a minute so that day we almost broke the entire app in terms of traffic but more on that later the larger point was this was the big pmf uh, so big indicator for us i love that story and you know it kind of reminds me of the more recent uh, indus valley report that bloom put out 
which really talked about uh, where India's shift in attention is kind of going. Like today, in spite of there being 400 odd platforms where people can turn their attention to for that split two minute, three minute uh, period of time that they have between certain tasks, they're trying to like, every every app is trying to fight for that attention. Instagram is trying to fight for that attention. Your WhatsApp is trying to fight. Elo Elo is trying to fight. Netflix is trying to fight. YouTube is trying to fight. Everybody is literally trying. It's also today you'll probably see why the number of notifications per 30 minute period has gone up by about 400% just in okay. the last two, 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 two years. Okay. And these are like mobile app stats, right? This is just true because people just want to be on top of mind. People want you to click their app. People, even if there's nothing happening in the app, notification marketing is one of those key criteria, especially if you're a mobile first company. It's Correct. really important just to let people know, even if you're like, for example, right now, if I just scroll to my phone, the way that the iPhone is designed right now, I'm not going to scroll more than two, 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 uh, I'm not going to scroll more than twice. Anything below that, I'm like, like, it doesn't matter to me at all. So you've got to make sure that you're constantly in somebody's face or the app automatically has to have a personal connect to you before you actually start, you know, considering this to be one of those things that you can't live without. So setting that as the context for my next question, how did you go about thinking about branding? How did you think about being top of mind for your customers? And what was that whole thought process? Because I would love to just understand fighting for attention in this economy is not easy. I and mean, you guys have obviously, you mentioned you have 7 million daily active users. That's a phenomenal number to get to in two year time, in a two year, two year period. I'm just curious about how you started probably putting yourself first in the customer shoes to start thinking about all the things that we previously <laughs> touched upon in some, some way. Why do, why do I have to open this app? What does it really like make me feel when I open the app? What are the things that really stand out? It all goes back to like the little things from the colors in the app to what the real content is, which kind of invokes a certain kind of emotion, certain kind of thought in your head, and you automatically then start having an affiliation of the content is good. So talk me through that early days of iterating on a bunch of these things where you noticed a lot of these behavioral patterns that kind of affected and impacted the way that the app is designed even today. Yeah. Um, Actually, a lot of that is still a very iterative process to be very candid with you. It's still a process that is ongoing that we keep debating about this point almost in every meeting that how do we even keep getting better? But I'll tell you about the entire journey, right? Uh, How do we go about building a brand? How do we go about building recall? What do we really want to be known for? I think uh, there are two parts to this particular uh, sort of wheel. One part is the creators who own these experiences, right? Mm. A lot of times your affiliation either happens to a format or to a person, right? I either love a particular video audio format or I like talking to someone that I love talking to the way uh, this person interacts or this person sort of uh, shares a story and I love being in his or her live stream. So a lot of our growth, a lot of our recall happened because of the creators who we sort of got onto the platform. And my thinking around this got shaped by, so if you listen to a lot of podcasts by Nawal or Balaji or others around this, or Shriram, of course, has given some great insights that whenever you build a new network, right, you're ultimately... uh, trying to build a social network in that sense, it's almost like a new country, yeah. right? That And if it's a new country, 
then it's a new set of citizenship. It's a new set of rules. It's a party where you have to make it very clear that, hey, what is this? What are the rules of this party? Is this a, you know, fine dining party where there'll be clinking of glasses or where, or is this like a party where I'm just going to have a great ball of a time? What, what am I thinking? Which party am I entering here? Right. Mm. And you need to make that very clear through your product. That was the way I would always communicate to my team that when you open the product, are you able to tell people very clearly that, hey, this is the party we've come to and this is what you're supposed to sort of do. Here. Otherwise, people will make their own rules and then you'll all go for a toss. So that sort of gives you the answer to how we sort of started thinking around this. And the first part was, of course, the creators. So the creators shaped the narrative. It was a combination of UGC, PUGCs. We have close to about 65,000 creators on the platform. So mm. people who would create these live streams, who would sort of do this entire experience, that was really the first clicker. And the second part was that for an audience, you're ultimately building a product in the escapism and fun space, right? right? Where you have to deliver that dopamine hit in the shortest possible time but you are not an async product. So you're not a short video where someone's supposed to have a passive content where I'm just sitting and I'm scrolling through one after the other. This is more lean forward. This is more interactive. So that what that means is that you might end up being a weekly or a two, three times a week use case initially because people would be like, yeah, I need more time to spend because I have to play a round of game or I have to sort of, it's almost like a weekend viewing of TV. So it's more immersive and engaging, but you yeah. have to own a particular time space where this is a particular time where I'm relevant for people. So what we did was we started building things like a clock of TV where every day, early morning, we would have these astrology live streams where people are doing Radhe Radhe, Aapka Bhavishya Aisa Rahega and astrologers would come live on the app and we would ensure that we maintain enough liquidity there. Every afternoon, we had people who were either doing cooking shows or people were doing talk shows and chit chat and tambola bingo and all of that. Every evening we would have comedy, singing and all and nights were all about game shows, talk shows, etc. We did Love House, so many sort of shows around that time. And that gave people the thought that this is almost like appointment viewing like TV where I'm coming in, I'm seeing something based on my interest. I'm meeting people who are also similar to my interest. And that gave recall to people's minds that, hey, this is an app where I can have a good time. I can meet strangers and I can chat with them in a very clean environment because it's all moderated public live rooms. I can sort of meet people. I can talk to them and I'm able to have like this 10, 15 minute of nice fun dopamine hit. And I want to open this every time because it brings a surprise to me. Today, mm. there is somebody who's singing live tomorrow. There could be a game show day after there could be something else. So that entire thing is what I felt gave a great combination of starting to work on. And to be honest, we've not even invested a dollar in brand building yet. It's either mm. been just pure performance or creators coming onto the app. There's not been a brand campaign aside from maybe a post I would have put on LinkedIn here and there, nothing else. Yeah. So, but aside from that, it has just purely been word of mouth, creators pulling an audience and performance, of course. So, combination of that. It's very interesting you say that because some of the most impressive <laughs> and successful companies that have managed to grow have yeah. actually grown by solving acute dry problems in your case probably entertainment is not dry but what it really goes to tell me is like if you solve a really hard problem you know customers will be more than happy to like fund it and by in your case funding does not really have to mean from a from a point of view of just spending money but it's spending time and in yeah. this case time actually equates to money because eventually that's the roadmap that you'll eventually stumble upon or if not that's already part of the journey in terms of uh, how you're thinking about monetization so 
what is really interesting to me from that point of view is trying to understand what those um you know there's 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 this really beautiful quote that i personally enjoy i've kind of like really lived by it every time i uh try to like build something internally at, at a vc fund or at a startup which goes something on the lines of it's not about how quickly you're able to like build something it's about what value proposition are you really bringing to the end customer because there are different schools of thoughts you go to yc yc will tell you um you know break things quickly move fast iterate come out with products as much as possible speak to your customers but more than anything else i think what really has worked in my case and some of the best founders that i worked with is building but building very closely to their customers speaking almost on a regular basis and getting that feedback from them and understanding are you really solving a problem in this case because one of the other things that unfortunately a lot of founders do in the early days when it's founder led sales is they will try and pitch this product in one way shape or form by directly speaking to the customer or through marketing and branding and everything is talking about every aspect of the product which is cool <laughs> as yeah. opposed to like really understanding like this matters to saurabh more than anything else like he cares about astrology content early in the morning that's it he's not going to he's not going to be participating in my 8 o'clock prime time you know game show for him what matters is this and so on and so forth there's different personas that you're probably catering to throughout the day so as you're thinking about various sets of icps and different customer bases all throughout what was really important to you and the initial team as they were thinking about building this for various sets of um customers that you had because programming it like a television is not easy yeah and the, and then to keep that consistent um pace channel tone narrative brand along with your content creators is also not easy because half of it is balanced on their side and half of it yeah. is balanced on the infrastructure that you are able to provide so there's always a little bit of give and take on both sides they are relying on you for the infrastructure and technology and you're relying on them a lot for the content and you know basically making it a great experience for your customers how was that sort of initial set of um, conversations with your creators your customers building closely with both of them because in some sort of like a marketplace like this it's not easy to you know just take a unilateral approach rather you have to speak to multiple stakeholders building icps right like you said and being relevant for a almost like a tv like viewing on a mobile app it's it's very tough because uh, the way you typically end up building products is that you build content banks especially in when you are doing something which is async right it mm. could be content it could be videos etc you end up building a bank and you serve that inventory to people but if it's live streaming uh you're only as relevant as your previous live stream it's almost as simple as that right yeah. uh you're only as relevant as that for an audience so there were two uh, there were actually three principles uh, the way i would break this down one was being very vernacular focused right because the one common point that i was able to draw for all audiences who were interested in the product were people who wanted product in their own local language and this could be hindi this could be bengali this could be telugu this could be tamil kannada uh, marathi multiple languages we launched in and that was the first thing that sort of uh, got us thinking that okay this is a format that we cannot this is something we cannot compromise on at all all the live streams have to be in local languages to ensure that that's that was a common point across icps because what typically happens is when you're trying to solve for icps with different use cases you run the risk of your product being so wide 
that it almost holds no relevance anymore for someone because yeah. you while it may have a specific problem statement that it is solving for let's say an akash versus a saurabh let's say someone else it still needs to have that one positioning that one can remember you for right hence you need to break it down into certain things which cut across and that mm. for us was one everything is in your language so it's almost like opening a star mazha opening a z bangla any particular channel on tv where the host is talking in your language and imagine you came on camera or you could shut off your camera you could be on audio and you're still chatting with them so that was the first thought said so the second thought was liquidity because you're building live streams you need to ensure that across languages across things you have enough liquidity on the app at any given point of time so that meant working on supply that meant rosters that meant all of that initially until ugc of course started and now it's all fairly autopilot in that sense yeah. we do close to about 4 lakh 50000 live streams a month so that's wow. kind of like the scale we are at at this point in time so yeah. that is sort of the idea where uh, then was about liquidity that just ensure that there are enough and more game show those enough and more astrology rooms enough and more sinking comedy that are happening across languages at any given point of time on the app and the third aspect was onboarding that is the more i think 50% of your product or sometimes even more than that is your onboarding mm -hmm. so what are the cues that you're taking because ml and other things come on to play at a much evolved journey where you have certain nuance behavior of your user where that which the machine can learn but <clears throat> right before that it is all onboarding so at the onset itself asking people that hey giving them a screen on hey this is what the product is about and what are the languages that, what language are you interested in what are the sort of interests that you want these are some of the hosts that a lot of people are following already do you want to follow them and kick start your journey bases your language and interest and people would be like okay fine this makes a lot of sense and then you've sort of solved the cold start problem from a user side because they already have a bit of a context about your product that oh okay it's almost like when you press the tv you have the guide button right yeah. and you decide basis that what channel do i want to watch what are the packs that i want to subscribe do i want this do i not want this that's what we want to do with our onboarding that you know these these are the things that we have and without it being too much of an information overload for an audience so that's the way the product gets designed and aside from that the entire product vibe so i am a big believer in what is the vibe that your product is giving is it giving a vibe of fun or are you trying to say fun but the product is super serious in yeah. the way it looks and feels so if you see the product there's a lot of color while of course it's a black background but there's a lot of color there's a lot of fun happening there's a lot of 3d elements there's a lot of animation going on at any given point of time so it gives you that that vibe that okay while this product has a lot of use cases for me it's ultimately a product about fun about escapism about meeting new people playing games having fun that entire vibe was very important for us and then we of course go deeper into that that then we solve more vernacular use cases now we are looking at more and more creators coming into the ambit now we are looking at creators monetizing from the platform etc because that's where we'll seriously deliver on the value proposition for creators so now it starts taking a more deeper journey of course as we starting to evolve but the way the icps have been constructed it's about these two to three things really sort of coming together Hey, this is a lot of good stuff in that particular answer. You just talked about having almost four point five lakh uh, concurrent streams on a monthly basis. That basically, if you do the math, comes down to ten live streams a minute. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, if you just think yeah. about it, you have enough content today that's lying around that uh, you know anybody who logs in at some point of time is having ten different options to to choose from. 
just in that 60 second period and then have yeah. another 10 more in the next minute so yeah. there's obviously a lot gone into like building and bringing the company to where it is today and before we move <laughs> on to like my next segment i had one question for you and i thought i'd probably bring this towards the end of the conversation probably now or debated but i think the timing is like perfect right now when you launched elo elo one of the things that certainly went in your favor is market timing yeah because there were a lot of companies that were born just before their time you had a lot of companies that were late to market and they had to compete with a lot of players out there and eventually died but what kind of like worked really well for you along with you know all the things that we've spoken about so far but an underlying underrated element here is timing how much do you allude that to the fact that you launched this at the onset of the pandemic where everybody at some point had access to this abundance of time outside of work where they're now able to like sit down and explore and give you that extra bit of attention, which perhaps you would have to have fight for at a later period of time if it was not the <laughs> pandemic period. And was that both a blessing and a challenge? A challenge because you probably would have had to like scale and manage things pretty quickly and also a boon because it gave a lot of validation in the early days and you built up that customer base to kind of get them hooked on during the pandemic period. Now it's just the after effects of people, after effects and network effects of people being uh, an avid user of the app. So how do you look at that period of time where companies were started and how important in your opinion is to start at the right period of time as well? Actually, I have a very different take on this one. Uh, yeah. To be honest, um, I'm a believe, I do believe fundamentally that, of course, you your timing matters. A great product happening for its time will eventually not work. If it's happening too later in time, we'll have too much competition. So ultimately, how would you eventually break out, etc. Yeah. And I do believe that to some extent that is true. But, you know, while when we were building Elo, you know, for us, the challenges were far bigger at that time rather than the pros of building at that particular point in time the reason i say that is because even we were remote like everyone else sure. right and while uh i used to eventually when the things started opening again offices had still not opened you could go out to get your groceries and stuff so i used to sneak in my engineers and others into my living room and i mm. had made that into like a pseudo office at that time right. and i was like you know because it's very tough to build a company and that to the first lines of code that you're writing or the first prds or the first wireframes remotely i mean mm. how do you even whiteboard it uh, how do you yeah. even sort of go into the actual nuances because you can do that when you're in a steady state you can't do that when you're just building the most fundamental first lines of uh, anything right. so that was a huge challenge i would say in terms of a pure traction when we launched uh, our live streams etc by the time it had actually launched uh, it was nearing a time where people were starting to go back to work but they had still not sort of gone back so i would say that it was good for us because we got early traction but i don't think we got misled traction you know what mm, i mean uh, yeah if you start building on something which is very ephemeral in nature that okay today somebody has spent 45 minutes on the app is that the new baseline is that something that everyone's going to be spending every single day or is it happening because of a once in a lifetime event that's never sort of going to happen again that sort of wasn't the case for us because we felt that one a lot of the apps use case what was tier two tier three because it was built for vernacular in nature i was going to uh, say the sheer gravity at that time the sheer sort of 
time spent at that time had not changed too much for them uh, right. for that audience base so that was one thing that so we were not getting false indicators i am a big sort of uh, believer that don't build a product on false narrative or false indicator because then when you want to scale that narrative may not hold for you at all so what we were getting at that time in our retention in our engagement was what we felt is an indicator that will hold even when we scale because uh, the time that they were logging onto the app was not an unnatural working time which someone wouldn't have come on to had their offices been there they were coming in in their mornings they were coming in in their nights they were opening the app at certain times in the afternoon when someone would take a break as well so we felt there's nothing too unnatural that is happening here mm. of course there are certain audiences that were sticking who we would call as our power users who were spending like 70 80 minutes a day on the app and that continues to be so which is of course going to be there for any app which has been able to sort of reach a very large audience so i would say the challenge of building the team was of course there but from an audience uh timing was important for us to get early pmf but not such a big uh, sort of distraction that could have taken it away by giving us a false indicator it gave us a good sense that okay the product is working it also gave us a sense on what is not working and we've been some of the first people to kill a format or kill something that is not working out because otherwise you tend to build something with a very small lingering hope that this will work in the future yeah. and then that doesn't really work for a consumer tech brand at all so yeah. that those two things combined is what i felt the pandemic gave us uh but the real clicker for us was 2021 end when things started becoming normal you know our first peak and this is something that i show in all my decks or everywhere our first real peak happened towards the end of 2021 where we had raised very less capital we had raised what about 2 2 1/2 million back then that's it all combined and hardly deployed anything and we were still hitting great daos maus great peaks great referrals because people were actually enjoying the product and it we never said that the competition was any other app we always said the competition is tv the competition mm. is not anything else you're watching tv that is my competition ultimately i feel that is a space i will sort of take up and that gave us a lot of validation that okay this is working because people are actually spending prime time here so yeah that was my big takeaway i think one thing that really stood out to me there was how you took after the television programming but yeah. also at the same time you were not as slow as the television network channels and uh, the programmers in terms of letting content linger on there for the longest period of time before actually killing it so yeah. you had the best of both worlds in both approach and execution in which you took the best practices from television and you also were quick to eliminate the things that actually make television a very <laughs> difficult place to actually operate in because they are very slow to kill content and that's also because of feedback cycles being slightly longer in their case as opposed to yours where you own that proprietary data and you're getting that information almost instantly as opposed to waiting for like a couple of weeks before you actually get ratings and everything to really know if something's working for you or not so i guess that's the best part about being in in that in that phase of digital as well as trying to take best practices or what's worked in the past and You know, I want to move the conversation along, and there's this beautiful blog that I love. And if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend you or any of the listeners to read it. It's called uh, "Giving Away Your Legos" by First on Capital, and I think they write some of the best blogs for founders. And in this particular one, um, you know, they talk about how if a company is really growing quickly, you have to evolve your job every couple of months, and in that. what they really mean by that is the emotion you feel when you are bringing new people into the door and taking and them taking over pieces of your job 
it's not different from how a kid feels when they have to share their Legos with a friend or with a sibling. There's a lot of that natural anxiety and insecurity that this new person won't build your Lego tower the right way or they'll take away all the fun or the important Legos or if they have to take over the part of the Lego tower that you are building, then there won't be any Legos left for you. But when it comes to scaling companies, giving away responsibility, giving away the part of that Lego tower that you started building is the only way to move forward and the only way to build bigger and better. <laughs> and at the back of this, there's another blog that I love, which is written by Octopus Ventures, in which they, it, it's a simple quote in, from that blog, which talks about, you know, in the early days, your job as a founder is that of a doer. And in the later stages, it's all about being an enabler. And you are just empowering more people and getting, letting them do the best jobs that they possibly can. So as this role has evolved for you as well, because you've had this tremendous growth in the last couple of years, and I'm not talking about any numbers here, not talking about fundraising or any of that, but not trying to put any metrics to validate your growth, but just in terms of how far you've come along from the learnings that you've had as a founder, there's probably that period that you felt or you may feel in the coming future where you're giving away the little bit of your Legos. You're giving away those responsibilities that you initially had complete control of in the early days. How are you dealing with, you know, just managing people and giving away a part of your responsibility? And how do you see the evolution of your role as a founder from the early days to where you are right now? It's not a long period of time, but the growth yeah. has been so much that it kind of feels like dog years. These two years probably have felt yeah. like the five or six years that you spent at Flipkart. Correct. Yeah, uh, I think this is super close to my heart in terms of a question as well. Uh, and you know, what is interesting about this, Akash, is that nobody trains you to become a people manager. Yeah, That's the first thing, right? I mean, you go to business school, you go anywhere, you're trained to be a great worker. Mm. You're trained how to work in teams. You're trained how to work well. You're trained how to share reports. You're trained how to present. The minute somebody says that, train this person how to be, how to go from an IC to a people manager, like, why is this training required? They'll figure it. And almost everyone feels you'll figure it out when you come to that. Place. And it's really tough because I've seen people not being able to figure it out. Right. For me, I think I'll take a step back from Elo Elo itself, because I think letting go of Legos is a brilliant way of putting it. Uh, and I think I let go of some of my Lego blocks, even while I was building my teams at Flipkart, mm. because even then from doing the pricing to figuring out the entire uh, me uh, media to the product assortment, everything, I had a fairly capable team that I could sort of completely decentralize it to and just hold it together to ensure that the primary goals and objectives are always met and nobody's sort of distracted from that. And I think that was a starting point. Of course, I had my learnings over there because there it was almost like a playground to experiment on what is working. You never know what is your style of leadership until yeah. you really try it. Everything you can read it in books that one could say, hey, is it an autocratic? Is it a democratic? Is it this, that? But when you actually go in and do it, you realize what your real style of leadership is. And then coming to Hilo Hilo, right? Uh, I knew for a fact that until we are at 30, 40, 50 member team, I have to be involved with, I still am involved in every team, but I have to be involved to the grunt work as well, right? Like I used to sit and write, share, do all the PNs along with the team member alone. So we used to have these time slots calendarized PN. 
we'll keep competing for clickbaits that who's going to get the most clicks etc because you ultimately are in the space of how can you get the better ctrs in that space and i used to enjoy that i used to do copywriting and also i was like this is my thing man this is something i'm enjoying used to enjoy prds used to enjoy sprints used to enjoy design uh, uh, sort of discussions now we are an 85 90 member team soon going to cross about 100 members at elo elo so you realize at that time that now if you sort of go as deep into everything as you were when you were a 30 member team you become a blocker rather than an enabler right yeah. because people may not express their ideas as freely if they feel that you know it's coming from the top down the best ideas have to come from their discussion to you rather than you thinking of an idea which you think is genius and passing on to them because then inevitably they'll build stuff what you want and they'll not build stuff what people want correct that is the first thing that i realized and it's again an iterative process i've realized this in meeting so my role at this point in time at elo elo i won't say that we are that big that i can say that you know hey i am somebody who's just involved in these board meetings or whatever i'm i go to my office daily i'll be i like being the first one and last one out still that i should be there i should be sort of uh, leading by some examples but at this point of time my role is to essentially be a catalyst is the way i look at it yeah. that hey these are the things we need to achieve these are the important things that we are looking at uh, you and from a some from somebody who's at an assistant manager at a manager level i am expecting them to solve a lot of pressing problems maybe not envision certain problems but for people who are at senior managers directors associate director levels i am expecting them to foresee certain problems yet that when we go down to this path what problem statements could come in what are the user problem statements what are the creator problem statements and we tend to do a lot of brainstorming groups around that i have certain groups i call think tank mm. where we just discuss ideas that you know what could happen here if we go into this particular format what happens if we try this what happens if we try this format what happens and i see that when you start taking that role of disassociating certain things <clears throat> you have to be okay with initial failure you have to be okay with somebody not getting it right the way you thought that would be right for the first few weeks because if you step in and there's a talk by steve jobs around it where he says that if i step in to fix things that hey 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 you didn't get it right i'll fix it right now you have inevitably shrunk that person's growth forever right because now that person is always going to feel micromanaged by your presence right so it's important to switch off from there and say that i so my sense around this has been that you start with trust and yeah. you start with giving them absolute trust saying that we hired you you are the right person for the job you do this you do this and it should be after several iterations that you then form a belief that is this happening in the right direction or do i need to step in and intervene and possibly guide or coach a little more so that was the first step second is how you evolve to become a catalyst and a coach so that's the way i sort of look at my role that i am now evolved in my thinking to sort of ensure that i can coach i can become a change catalyst if you want me to rally teams around and say that yaar use me as a bad cop sometimes and say that say this is not happening why don't you send this message on slack or whatsapp so that everyone sort of comes together and gets this thing done i am more than happy to do that and that has now started becoming my role because now i start overseeing things and then the third aspect is as a founder i can bring in things now which the team can't because i can talk to folks such as yourself or certain industry mentors bring in insights and say that hey did you think of this particular conversation did you think of this particular insight while we were building it
I just had a talk with someone and he told me this beautiful insight. Let's think about this. And that could be a fresh perspective, a fresh eyes that can come into this conversation. So I see my role evolving in that sense now rather than anything else. But of course, keeping entire ears on the ground, ensuring I'm still talking to my users, my creators, etc. So you bring up some really interesting points and, and a few things to out. I mean, I'll bring a couple of them out. But the first thing that I completely agree with you is one, yeah, business schools or life really doesn't teach you to become a people person. Yeah. We may have all taken uh, those leadership <laughs> uh, classes and courses and read those case studies and stuff, uh, but nothing really preps you as much as actually being in that situation. We have all read that BP oil spill or some, some stuff where we put in the shoes of that manager and what would you have done? It's so different when shit actually happens as opposed to theoretically taking an approach when you have the luxury of both hindsight as well as infinite resources and lack of emotions around you to make decisions. Yeah. But in real life, you have all of that. You actually don't have the resources that you probably think you do. And you have a lot of emotions flying around, including your, your own. With, and it usually stems from within. How easily and how, or how difficult it is for you to manage your own emotion with respect to a problem. And then the people who are involved, how do you manage their emotions and, and, and their... Um, and, and the teams that are involved in the particular project of that decision making. And then overall, how does it really impact the customer? And how do you prioritize all of that? Nobody can teach you any of those things. It's repeated exposure to these instances that kind of build you. And I was talking to a founder, in fact, here in um, the Bay Area. And we had a similar discussion around <laughs> leadership, decision making. And I asked her the same question, like, how do you think about just decision making? How do you think about like leadership and how have we evolved as a people person? And she said, Practically speaking, for the longest period of time, I felt I'm going to be a very democratic sort of a leader where I will seek people's opinion in the early days and I'm going to be like people person. But eventually when I started building, I realized that I'm more of an authoritarian figure where in the early days, it has to be my vision. It has to be a founder-led vision. Because if you don't have that strong conviction as a founder and you're like constantly like listening and changing your vision, even the employees around you are like, this is not somebody who has that straight vision in terms of just knowing what they want and they will not get attracted to what you're trying to solve. So in my opinion, like she was saying this, in my opinion, in the early days, it's always great to be an authoritarian and then start losing that authoritarian sort of leadership style to becoming a more democratic, collaborative sort of a leader because now you have key decision makers in your team. And I, I love this one particular um, quote that was told to me years ago in business class, which is humble people feel that they're not in charge and arrogant people feel that they do. And that I've that stuck with me throughout. Ever since I heard that for the first time with the guest, guest lecture, that's always stuck with me. And that is so true. Yeah. You always kind of feel that you're, you know, you need to control micromanaging and everything that we spoke about. And um, it's been, these are some of the things that stood out to me from your own personal experience of like trying to run this tight ship, but also at the same time, giving people this liberty and flexibility of taking ownership, running with it. So I loved how your leadership style is kind of like evolved over the last couple of years and compared to those flip card days as well. That was very insightful. And I'm going to extend a question there and just, because I've loved this discussion, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be like a very definite sort of framework that you have for some tough decision-making processes that you've had along the way as well. Maybe Flipkart days before that, even today, as you're making these decisions as a founder of the company, how do you think about these tough problems that come up? It could be anything, fundraising, letting go of people, new markets, different challenges, legally something's come up. They're all very different in terms of 
with the impact that can have on the business and the impact can have on people and you yourself as a founder. So when it comes to a tough decision, what is your framework in terms of approaching it and then perhaps finding a, finding a solution is probably subjective and very specific to certain problems, but just the overall framework, because again, we have a lot of founders who go through similar you know, ups and downs almost every other day and have to make some key decisions. What would be like yours that you would probably want to share with them? Yeah, uh, you know, a large part, Akash, of a founder, uh, a large part of my role involves around just decisions, right? Yeah. And if I get half of them right, I have had a great day, I would mm. say, right? Yeah. Because it's just, imp- because everyone's looking at you for that final validation. Uh, designs ban gai hai, which one should we go with? Right? Because <laughs> I can say, go and talk to users, see what are they liking the best and that's possibly the best way to answer it but eventually you have they're looking at okay we will talk to the users but hey which one are you liking just tell us that right and you feel that hey am i preempting a decision so decision making i feel is the key here and that's again i would stress on another thing that's also something you're not taught at b schools you're not taught anywhere because you could talk about any framework. You could talk about rice. You could talk about urgent, important. You could talk about many frameworks. You're not taught that. And the way I have sort of done it is that first always, so I always follow this uh, urgent and important framework that is this super urgent. If yes, then I will sort of address it right away. Uh, does it require me to take a very radical call? Does it require me to take a very moderate call? So Mm. it's urgent, important, radical, moderate, the way I would always sort of think of it. So let's say tomorrow you are wanting to kill a feature, right? And it's not working out. So you have a release. So you have three, four days to sort of figure out whether you want to stick to this or you want to roll it back. So it's almost going to be a radical and an urgent call that you have to decide. whether you want to stick with this or you don't want to stick with it. So that's where my entire belief is that if you have an injury in your hand and you have a bandaid on top of it and it's hurting now, it's best to take that bandaid off very quickly rather than give it a very slow, painful death that hurts you and it hurts everything then. So my thing has always been that take a quick call in this particular space. And I am one of the foremost believers in that. I actually believe in part of what YC has also said that you need to move fast because speed is the only thing that as a startup I have as an advantage, right? Right. That I have data. I have a combination of data and a gut, I would say. So I could move fast. I don't know if you're breaking things or not, but we could at least move fast, right? And that is the first part. So my first principle around this has been that if it is urgent, it requires me to take a bit of a radical call I'll decide in a very simple yes or no. It could be urgent, but the call could be a little more moderate where, yeah, we will sort of build this. We will stick around with a couple of more sprints with this and we'll make some certain more iterations and we'll figure out. Or it could be something which is more important where it requires more discussions where I don't need to make a decision right now, but I can consult with certain people and I can come back to you on what the final decision in this could be. It could be typically things like hiring, in an actual down market, right? In a market such as what is happening now, where markets are not looking that great. It's not an urgent call. I don't need to hire 100 people tomorrow. But it's an important call because I'm entering the new financial year with a new AOP and with a new sort of plan of how my org structure is going to look like. So it's more important. And I could sort of look at either a radical thought of uh, sort of a thought here or a more moderate thought over here. And I could say that, you know, we could look at these many positions and these many people who are sort of fairly necessary 
to get the job done and that becomes a very important way of thinking around it so for me the urgent important balance has been a big one whether i need to take a very extreme decision or i need to take a moderate decision is another big one that i keep thinking and the second framework i always use is i stack rank my decisions so mm. i have my own to do list and i tend to stack rank so a lot of people at who would have worked in these early age startups of india or maybe even globally we do something called as p0 p1 p2 right mm. these are my p0 decisions to take this is my pri- super priority this would be p1 this would be p2 inevitably u1 bias comes in p2s are never taken into account very quickly but it's always the p0 p1s that you end up solving for and you stack rank them that okay between the p0 p1s i need to action these today so these become various sort of decisions these are hiring decisions these are people decisions these are uh, investor conversations these could be multiple things right from uh you know your monetization plans your experiments to product what i tend to do always is stack rank them have a discussion but i know for a fact that this is an early stage company so you're right in certain sense or the founder you quoted is also correct that at point of time you have to have a vision or you have to have a stance as a founder that this is what i feel about this because that ultimately will shape a bit of a directive in the company that you know this is coming from there and it's coming with some degree of possibly expertise in this particular space so you come with that and then you should be very open to sort of acknowledging mistakes so i do a lot of town halls where we talk more about things that we did not get right as well as things that we got right so so that people understand that we are not invincible we are not gods here we make a lot of mistakes but we are at least a very very humble to acknowledge them come back and say that you know these decisions did not work out we are going to see what we can do about it in the next sort of few days and these are the things that worked out and we're going to be very very transparent about it because we are taking so many decisions i mean i'll tell you a particular day i had made my to do list and i realized i had 32 things which i had to do today which were more yes or no things that uh does this pr have to go does this have to happen does this sort of uh, is this post okay and then i realized at that time that i have to sort of decentralize some of these decisions these are not even my decisions so i gave it to some of my sort of direct reportees to sort of look at that but just giving you a context of how many things happen ultimately when you're running this early stage consumer tech startup and then you have to sort of have a great way of organizing it stack rank it and then just take a combination of data and gut yeah to really uh, solve it so yeah taking that first principles approach fundamentally and like trying to break it down to like simple things you know could be priorities it could be as little as you know where does you know this really impact which side of the business the most and how does that really eventually then come back to me because you are accountable at the end of the day a lot of people are looking to you for some sort of leadership some sort of direction and that is really important to like have that key decision making but I've also noticed this in some of the founders and they may not on public forums actually say this so um again a question for you to answer or not answer but when there are tough decisions some of them obviously make those decisions in the moment but then spend a little bit of time thinking whether it was a right decision or wrong decision so i'm sure you know the classic answer here is i have no regrets but have there been the you know occasions where you've made the tough call but you kind of like felt we could have kind of like you know handled it in a different way and of course there are a lot of those things that happen to us on a daily basis i'm the first to admit that i have made decisions in my life where i look back on it and i think yeah you know what now today i'm a little bit more wiser i probably would have dealt with it in a much different manner and it could have different implications but at the same time <laughs> what i don't regret is what's happened eventually because i've learned a lot from that but i do regret the way that i handled it as opposed to that event actually happened so you know what yeah. i mean no i i know exactly what you mean and i like i uh, 
like I actually alluded to as well that a lot of our town halls, Akash, we actually, I actually end up saying this fairly publicly yeah. that, you know, these were certain things that we did that we're not really, that in hindsight, we're not really proud of that. Mm. Maybe we could have done this a little better. Maybe we could have given a particular product or a particular feature a little more time. time. Maybe yeah. we didn't handle a particular conflict a little better. Maybe we could have managed this particular uh, thought process a little more in a more nuanced manner, etc. So uh, personally, the way I sort of look at it is that if you have a I am invincible thought process towards the way you make decision making, you never improve because you'll always think that all decisions you've made are perfect. Yeah. Uh, because no one's going to come to you and say that, hey, you may got this wrong. Very few people are going to do that to you. They'll be your absolute close folks who will be able to really muster the courage to come and tell you this, right? Mm. So you have to have this strong principle of self-reflection that uh, yeah, this particular thing didn't work out or this particular sort of thought. And you have to be very, very, you, you have to one, appreciate honesty and second, be very honest to yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing you may have handled conflict or you may have handled a separation in an, in a wrong way, for example, right. I'll, I'll give you certain very classic things that found the space that a key employee separated with you or something, and you may not have handled it in the best way. And then after two days you reflect and you'll be like, yeah, I could have handled this a little better. What does that mean? You can't go back in time and sort of undo that, but that just means that you'll be better mentally prepped for the next time that, that situation comes into your life because I'm very well sure that it'll happen uh, sometime again to you if you're building a large business, right? So that's one thing that I would always say that uh, being very mindful of what is happening, being honest to yourself and constantly seeking feedback. So uh, for me, what has really helped is that I have a close quarter of folks who I know and respect a lot. Mm. And I can trust their advice a lot more than what sometimes I would trust. Sometimes I would trust their advice a lot more than my instinct as well, right? Right. Because they would tell me that, no, this is what we could be doing. And this is where we went wrong. And I would be the first one to say that, yeah, you are right. And we should have sort of acted on this. And that helps because that gives you a shorter feedback loop. And ultimately, that's what you're really looking after in life. That you get a short feedback cycle, you understand how to improve and then you do that in the next time so that i would say has really helped me stay very grounded one as a leader and second constantly keep iterating around right. this no I, I i agree with that i think that's that's kind of like a very similar framework to what i would take in terms of my decision making process so i'm i'm in complete agreement there and uh, i know we're almost at the end of like the the hour here and i have two questions for you before i let you go and these are two questions that are very close to my heart kind of like yeah. gives me an insight into how founders think but the first of those is what are your non-negotiables and this is not just from a point of view of being a founder or being a leader at your organization or you know as a stakeholder where you're kind of accountable to some of your investors your customers no in general in life what are like maybe two or three non-negotiables for you that has kind of like kept you very closely rooted to who you are and kind of guided you in the right direction in most times when you know you have had that sort of inner voice kind of like questioning some of the things that you were doing wow um, that actually makes me think because it's about putting in a lot of dots together yes it's a brilliant question um, you know i can think of and for me whenever i think of my non negotiables i go into the past where what are the times where if it's a non negotiable i would have taken a chance Right. Mm. When, if someone were negotiating on this, or if I were negotiating on this, I would have taken a stance that was, this is not acceptable. And there are two things that sort of really come into my mind. One is 
genuine transparency radical transparency i would say i mean people who i am dealing with it could be my family it could be uh, anyone sort of in my close circle and my close circle i can actually count on my fingertips right so one is absolute transparency just ensuring that we are not really in a relationship amongst our close folks and this is true from my the way i'm building my company as well like if you're coming in and if you're having a bad day i would possibly able to read it by looking at your body language yeah. so if you're just able to have absolute transparency with me it would be much better as an equation and just uh, you know uh, assuaging a particular situation by saying something or saying nahi nahi ye to ho jaye don't worry about it is something that is an absolute non negotiable for me i don't like it at all yeah. because then i'm not going to be able to help you at all right because you're not giving me the entire information and uh, when it has happened like for example i'll give you i will give you a real story around this so that you understand there was a celebrity who was supposed to come live on elo elo mm. right and there was a team member who for all the best intent didn't give me the entire picture at that time right that uh, you know this person is going to come live and this is going to, uh, i had asked is there a commercial angle into this is there yeah. going to be a commercial no 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 it's not there's no commercial there's nothing this person is going to come live and this is going to be a great show and stuff like that and what i didn't realize is that this is ultimately going to be a 5 minute live stream that someone is going to open the camera and just sort of have there and you won't even realize that somebody is live right it's almost like an audience recording and uh, that was when i had a conversation saying that you know i would have been much better prepared and this was about quite a few months ago and i said you'd be much better prepared if you could just be very very honest and say yeah. that you know this is what is going to happen and you know that uh, that would help because then it's fine if this is what is going to happen we'll set lower expectations we'll possibly not go into this into that kind of depth we'll try and figure out what we can do better and maybe i can step in in negotiation or i can figure out some people who can get connected with you and get this ball moving if we are very transparent with each other and that is the first big rule right yeah. and then that person of course from then to now we are in a culture of absolute transparency because then we tell each other everything because one if you are in a culture of transparency you also have to by default bring in a no judgment culture because right. that comes with that because you can't ask people to be transparent and then judge them for being transparent right then you are sort of violating the rules that you have only set yeah that's so hypocrisy at that point that. yeah yeah so i try to do that that you be transparent with me and then i will ensure that you will always have my best version my best output coming with you because then i'll try and help you out that okay aise kar sakte hai maybe this is what we can do rather than saying that why did this not happen because you came and you were very transparent and that's the first sort of uh, angle around this second has been a simple work ethic or if it is generally in any particular situation in my life it is about the fundamental of putting in the work it yeah. is not just about your office it is about a relationship it is about your friends giving them time it is about anything in life a big non negotiable for me has been that don't expect an output if you've not put in the work at all and that has been something that i have always i i've never felt that i've gotten very lucky in life i felt that matlab uh, i had given my uh, i i'll tell you again a funny story my mom had given my kundli to someone and here he had said at a point in time that this guy is going to have to hard work himself out every time because yeah. this is just going to what is uh, and again not being a big believer in this but that's something that just stuck with me that sometimes you just have to hustle sometimes you just yeah. have to put in the work and that became a non negotiable for me after a point in time because 
I was like, if you're not going to be able to do this and you may not be the best in terms of everything else, but if you've not even put in that work ethic, you've not put in the number of hours, you've not put in that number, that time, it could be work, it could be relationship. Don't expect that output because it's just never going to happen. Nothing yeah. just happens very magically. Things require time, things require perseverance. So that became a big thing for me that ensure that is always happening. So yeah, right. these two things. No, I think you bring up a very interesting point there because, and I fundamentally draw this comparison, either you're born a Messi or you're a, you become yeah. a Ronaldo. Correct. And there's a fine yes, line there, right? You're born with a natural talent or you work yourself to an infinite degree where you kind of become talented and that hard work is kind of going to be a differential at the end of the day. Correct. And, you know, going back to the example that you're talking about, I just made a note of this as you were speaking. There's a fine line between wanting to prove yourself and yeah. there's a fine line of trying to actually be who you are. Yeah. And between those, I think the good ones kind of like fall on, 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 you know, the good, they fall the right channel and the people who kind of like get, unfortunately, by the way, by the wayside, because of circumstances that have kind of like popped up in their careers and their lives. But uh, I guess this is a learning lesson for a lot of people. And then, you know, before we, um, you know, wrap this episode up, Again, a question that I ask everybody, and if you've listened to some of the episodes that you previously mentioned, you probably have come across this. You know, if you were to restart your career all over again, or if you were starting Elo today as a founder, what are some of the things that you have learned that you probably will tell your younger self to brace for the journey <laughs> that it's going to be? Wow. Um, again, that's a, I mean... While that's a simple question that comes, that's also loaded, right? Because it, it comes is. with, it's a loaded question. Uh, yeah. So if I were to start all over again, I would actually say that, uh, you know, what I just told you, kill things faster, right? Mm. Uh, if it's not working, certain things will, you'll realize that it's not working. The more you linger around with that, I felt that I could have, we could have been where we are at maybe six months earlier as well. Uh, again, hindsight is a beautiful thing, right? It's possibly the best things because you yeah. can say that, wow, I could have saved these two, three months. Uh, but I felt that two things, one leverage the power of distribution. We always be thinking distribution first. And that's something I would tell my younger self mm. that, uh, and I would have told that to my younger self in 2015 and it's everything. It's the power of distribution on social platforms, how you build your personal brand. How do you sort of uh, look at building a product? How do you go into a distribution first lens rather than just a planning first lens? Because then you learn with faster iteration. So that is the first thing I'll tell my younger self. Second, if something's not working out, be the first one to kill it and kill it faster than anyone else, because that gives you liberty that gives you a lot of freedom that, okay, this didn't work out. I took an action. I killed it. I moved on to the next thing. Don't linger around with it too much because you will know in the, and of course, don't kill it until you've given it your everything. And yeah. it takes certain months. It takes some time to do it. But the minute you've done it and you feel it's still not working, don't linger around with it because mm. then you will hit PMF faster. You will go into certain experiments more faster and of course, be very experimentative. Yeah? Nobody, none of us have the right answers. It's uh, you're building what your users tell you to build and keeping your ears very close to your users, creators, just ensuring that you're constantly taking more feedback. That's what I would sort of tell my younger self in terms of product and work. In terms of another thing, I would tell my younger self that maybe I could do a little better with work-life balance. I would yeah. tell my younger self that as well. Don't we, don't we all? 
<laughs> we all of course we all yeah so yeah. i would say that uh, you know now in the last 3 4 months so i put out a content on my health transformation st- uh, and stuff as well on linkedin so uh, i i honestly believe that when you are at your fittest best right is when you are most productive as well because your mind is in the right space your body is feeling good you're emotionally and mentally in the right space you'll take better decisions my 50% hit rate would become 75 80% as well in yeah. hindsight at that particular period because you're in a great mental and physical space at that time so prioritizing your health so vani from kalari for example talks about this a lot and amongst everyone else that prioritizing mental and physical health for founders is very important and right. you have to be very unapologetic about it that yeah. i am going to take this hour or i'm going to take this time for myself i'm going to give myself that sleep time i would tell that to my younger self because there have been times i've had 72 hours of no sleep yeah that just hustle 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 you have to build this out you have to ship it out and then you just go into a no productive zone altogether that doesn't help anyone at your yeah. sort of level so just ensuring that that some amount of that balance exists or at least you prioritize your family and your health in that sense so that you're a more rounded sort of a person i think that's important and that's something i would always tell myself as i look back in hindsight so yeah i think vani is the other person who constantly talks about this and for me the first <laughs> instance of this was navel and his uh, yeah. and in the almanac of uh, navel uh, yeah. there's you know these beautiful little formulas uh or equations you know as simple as happiness equals health plus wealth and good relationships or health is equal to exercise diet and sleep or exercise is equal to high intensity resistance training sports and rest and each of these he kind of like gives all of these little things then i think goes a long way to like really show the productivity of you know not just you as a leader but also you just as a human being because you need to show up every day in different aspects of life and various roles that you play and it's equally important to play that role to the fullest in your to the best of your ability as opposed to just showing up 100% as a founder and then being a shitty person in like real life and vice versa it's not going to help out it has to be balanced and you i thousands of other people out there many people are guilty of like not balancing this out in the right manner and it's work in progress for me i'm sure it's work in progress for you and for a lot of our listeners but uh, um sort of this has been a great episode i have had a fantastic time sitting across from you and learning about your decision making process the way that you think about the little challenges that you have come through um more importantly how you have built the company from the ground up and all the experiences that you have had and it's made for a fantastic episode and you know you talked about you know listening to some episodes such as the ones with upper maya or with abhishek nag and i would put yeah. this right up there i mean this is actually very insightful and more importantly it's it's fundamentally raw it's you it's who you are and uh, that really comes across very naturally so i've really enjoyed getting to know you and uh, i'm extremely confident when the episodes are all of our founders will kind of like resonate to the story and this is what i really enjoy about episodes is not really talking about the companies but really talking about the founders and who they are and what kind of makes them the founder that they are and eventually that kind of gets embodied into the brands that they're building and the companies that they're building and the people that they end up attracting so um that's the only reason i don't get into like the company aspect of things and just try to like focus on the founder and their personality and it's been a ball it's been great thank you so much for Likewise, being here and i would love to bring you on yeah. you know at a later point and really talk about all the other journeys that you'll be between now and the and the time that i bring you back on the podcast absolutely i had a great time talking to you akash i mean it's a very refreshing take to sometimes 
like i said so so many of these questions have so much of thought process that comes with it because it's almost like putting all of those pieces together and then arriving at that thought process but it's been an amazing conversation and a very refreshing take to talk about the journey rather than just uh, what is the company and what we are building so really enjoyed it look forward to the episode and look forward to reconnecting man thank you so much Well that unfortunately brings us to the end of this episode but thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to Saurabh's wonderful journey with Elo Elo. He was vulnerable about his journey as a founder and all of us can take something away from this episode. He was able to share his decision making framework, the way that he goes about managing his team and most importantly how he's gone about building the company. I think if you're a founder out there building any company in the entertainment slash content space, I think this one was a great listen for each and every one of you. Thank you again, Saurav, for being on the podcast and I hope to bring you on sometime in the future and talk a little bit more about the growth journey that Elo Elo would have gone through. Well, if you are like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the other ones that we've brought you so far, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. It really helps others discover the show, but more importantly, keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases. Tune back in again next week because we've got another great guest lined up for you. And until then, stay safe, everybody, and continue to keep hustling.